0: And I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today, today, rather, I am joined by my good friend Hadley Heath Manning. Hey, Hadley! Hey, Julie. <laughs> Hadley um, Hadley Manning is the vice president of policy at the Independent Women's Forum. She's also the mother of three kids. Um, and she recently wrote an interesting piece in National Review called Boys Need a Pathway to Manhood. We've actually talked on this program quite a bit about what, what is called the boy crisis, um, toxic masculinity, which I think is is a terrible um way to call masculine men. Um, and we've talked about how so many school programs are tailored uh, for girls, um, girls in STEM, um, girls in science and not so much boys. So this is a really important, I am the mother of three boys. So Maybe that's why we focus on this so much. I think this is a a really important issue. And Hadley's going to talk about her really important piece, her fantastic piece, um, and also um, just some other general parenting issues. So Hadley, thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. And I um, don't think I've shared this with you yet, Julie, but um, you know
1: I'm expecting a fourth baby. I just found out that it's a boy. So it's a very timely, timely conversation to be talking about my boys um, and talking about how really these problems um, don't exist in isolation, right? You know, we know there are problems for girls in our society, right? I I dread when my girls are adolescents and they get on social media, you know, like I'm very, I I definitely have um, particular concerns for my daughters. But then I think there's been more and more recognition in recent years. I mean, there's been several books. I mean, I think back to Christina Hoff Summers writing The War Against Boys and there, there have continued to be kind of a drumbeat of of researchers and books and information about the, the so called boy crisis or the, the man crisis. And um, initially, I wrote uh, an article for National Review Online about how the boy crisis affects girls because, you know, we're the Independent Women's Forum and we're interested in women and girls. But um, these, these, the two sexes really need each other. I mean, it, to, 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 to act like we do life separately, it's just not accurate for most people. People have, you know, men, women have men in their lives, women have men in their lives, and we're concerned about their well-being. We care about their success. Obviously, a lot of people hope to match up and mate with someone of the opposite sex. And so in order for our society to be strong, for marriages to be strong, for families to be strong, for kids to have the best opportunities and the, the most flourishing in their lives, we need both men and women to uh, to be doing well. So I, I wrote about how the boy crisis affects girls. And then that turned into a, a longer piece about solutions in national review. We can talk about what some of the solutions are, but of course I, you know, I came to this topic with a lot of humility. I am a mother, but, uh, a pretty young mother. My oldest child is turning seven. So I haven't really navigated a lot of, a lot of the parenting problems that, uh, that come with, uh, with kids yet. I'm, you know, I'm pretty good at diapering at this point, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still learning. Right. But, uh, but I talked to a couple experts and I did some research for it, and I, I think I have some thoughts to share. Um, the bigger picture, of course, which we can also talk about if you want to, is just about how to think about these problems in general. Because I think our society has run into um, a, a big, some really big foundational questions about sex differences.
0: Yeah. Well, to let's start with. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. tell you. I can tell you've got a lot to say about this subject and it is, and it's, (laughs) but it is critical, but I want to back you up a little bit and I'm going to read, I'm just going to read the beginning of your piece. It says, um, you say, they say that boys will be boys, but they say it with an eye roll. We don't want to, we don't want boys to be boys when boyhood is associated with bad behavior, immaturity, messiness, and raucousness. Similarly, society's message, message for what we really want for and from grown men is often unclear and the connotation of that message often negative. We've got to change this if we want to address the male crisis. And then you say this, and I want you to expand on this. You said men are failing, falling behind women and men of previous generations. So men aren't only falling behind women, but they're they're falling behind what men achieved previously. And you say in education, in work and life. Hadley, set the stage for us. What is the state of men? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there are so many indicators that
1: compare or contrast boys and girls, right? We can look at boys and girls in school. And if you look at the top 10% of high school students, two thirds of those are girls if you look at the bottom 10%, two thirds of those are boys. And so there's this difference in how boys and girls are achieving in school. And there's a, and there's 15% more uh, women graduating from college now than men and women are now earning more master's degrees, MDs, JDs, pretty much you name it. And, and there's part of me that says, okay, well, comparing the two genders, there doesn't have to be gender parity in everything. We've always argued at IWF that when it comes to the wage gap, we shouldn't strive for parity. We should strive for fairness, of course, uh, for equal pay for equal work. Um, and we should give boys equal opportunities in school. But if they're not achieving the same as girls, you know, what's that? What's the, Where's where's the red flag there? And um, then I started looking at how boys are doing and how men are doing compared to, you know, say their fathers or their grandfathers. And we've got some other Symptoms of a problem here, and that's uh, you can see it in labor force participation. Um, in 1960, 97% of men were participating in the labor force. Today it's 87%. And most of the men who are not participating in the labor force, Julie, really are actually reporting bad health as their reason for not working. About 40% of men, 44% of men who are not working, are, are taking painkillers. And so we've got you know men who are not uh, physically healthy. Uh, men who are not mentally healthy, uh, women are uh, men's uh, real wages have declined fourteen percent since 1979. So we're seeing you know, not just that men are falling behind women, which some people, you know, maybe some feminists might say, what's wrong with that? you know, but they're actually falling behind where they have been previously traditionally. And to me those those things are symptoms of a problem that we should all be talking about.
0: And are we talking about that? That's one thing. I know that at IWF, we are talking about it. I know since this article has come out, people are talking about it. I know that certain outlets, you wrote about it in National Review. National Review has been great about it. I feel like a lot of conservatives are kind of talking about the men's crisis and the, the, the state of men in this country, um, but wider than that. Are we seeing it in the mainstream media? Are people taking it seriously? Because, you know, early on, you kind of went, eh, well, is this really a problem? Eh, you know? And I do think there's sort of a Meh, it, uh, reaction in a lot of circles. Yeah. And I want to talk also, before, you know, I, I want you to address that question. But I also want to talk to you about some of the experts that you talked to for this article. But again, before we get into that, is this a widespread talked about issue or is it really just kind of narrowly focused in conservative circles? I, I hope that the answer to your question
1: is that increasingly so people are starting to acknowledge the problem um, outside of just sort of the conservative movement or, um, you know, there's, I think there's a reluctance on behalf of some people to talk about the issue because they feel like if they focus on problems that affect men and boys, that that somehow means takes that away. their that they're dismissing problems faced by women and girls. And, and, you know, what I believe and what so many people believe, I'm sure what everyone at IWF believes is that it can be both and. Right. You can say, yes, women and girls definitely have challenges to overcome, and we want to help them do that to the fullest extent. But then boys and men also clearly are facing problems, and some of those things are, are related, they're tied, but some of them are different. And it comes down to, you know, again, what I mentioned earlier about sex differences. Before I move on, Julia, I did want to mention that, you know, I think we've all been concerned. I hope, you know, and this is another thing that I hope is not siloed into conservative circles, but I, I think there's more awareness of like a, a mental health crisis in this country and particularly a youth mental health crisis. But this is where we again see pretty stark sex differences. So th- there's been sharp increases in suicide rates among male adolescents. Uh, the CDC reports that a man in the U.S. takes his life every 13.7 seconds. And young men are four times more likely to commit suicide than their female counterparts. And, you know, this is this is very serious. This is very concerning because I know that people, you know, again, I, I worry about the smartphones of my daughters. I worry about their body image issues, of course. But maybe the untold story sometimes is that the mental health crisis, and particularly when it comes to suicide men are, unfortunately, there's a gap there. And men are, you know, way, I don't want to use the word ahead, but they're, they're, they're way above and beyond where women are in terms of of suicide rates. And, and that's something that we, you know, whether you think that politically, there's a framing problem to this issue, get over that, (laughs) because we should be talking about it, people's lives are on the line.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, To to really examine this issue, you talked to two Scholars in this area, Richard Reeves, who's the author of the recent book, Boys and Men, and Brad Wilcox. Uh, he's over at AEI, and he's the director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia. You say that both Reeves and Wilcox um, emphasize that there is not one solution to the male crisis. Reeves argues that the problem facing men and the solutions in education, earnings, relationship, and mental health are in interlocking. Wilcox also pres- uh, prescribes various reforms. What did... You know, one thing you talked about is how Reeves sometimes is criticized because he, he 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 sort of doesn't talk about the strength of marriage as being primary as much as some maybe some conservatives do. That you know, we sort of say, look, you know, you need purpose in your life, get married, have a family, it'll make you work harder. And we know that does. Married men tend to work harder because they've got a family to take care of. Um, but Reeves makes some good points about how conservatives might be dismissing um, men who have children who aren't necessarily married to the biological you know, mother in the situation. So kind of break that down for me. Where do these guys come together and where do they separate? Yeah, I was really encouraged in talking to these two experts um, to see that
1: there were, I thought, a couple areas of big overlap, foundational areas. So one of them is that they agreed on the multifactorial nature of the problem, that it's not just one problem. There's not just one silver bullet. There's just not just one solution. You know, Dr. Wilcox may emphasize marriage, but he's, he, I don't think would say that that's the silver bullet that, that will solve all of our problems. And then another area of agreement, and I hope I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth, but I think to even talk about this problem, you have to have certain, um, assumptions, right? You have, to, you have to understand that men and boys are a thing, that that's a category, that that's definable. And Dr. Reeves, who is more center-left, actually shared with me that he spoke at a conference where I guess the audience was um, more left-leaning. And someone from the audience criticized him for being heteronormative in some of his comments. And he said, well, I guess, you know, if that's, if that's what I have to take, that kind of name-calling is what I have to take in order to draw attention to these issues for boys and men, then that's, I'm going to have to accept that. And so I thought, well, good for him, because I do, I do think that that's a missing piece on the left when it comes to this conversation, is you have to get over the idea that this is heteronormative or dismissive of other problems, dismissive of the LGBT community, dismissive of women and girls, which are obviously big constituent bases for the Democrat Party. But to to be able to um, elevate these issues, um, affecting men and boys, I think is, is good. That gives me hope. And I, and, you know, I think, you have to make an assumption before you even start to talk about this that there are there's something natural innate biological and real about boyhood manhood you know to talk about maybe there's different solutions that would have particular or disproportionate uh, advantages or um so, you know solutions that help boys that could help girls too but they might help boys more pre assumes it assumes um that boys and girls are different you know, and I think that that's, that's, that's a big conversation that our country is having right now. And as a parent, I can say for sure, you know, there's been tons of messaging to parents, especially young children about how you shouldn't buy the fire truck for the boy and get him a baby doll instead. And you shouldn't buy the pink stuff for the girls. And, and I think, okay, well, this, there's a real tension there for parents who don't want to, be oppressive and put their kids in a box. And I think that actually the outdated uh, restrictive gender stereotypes are at the root of some of the, the things we see happening with kids identifying as transgender. That's another topic. But we also, I think, want to foster in our kids what is, what they're naturally drawn to, what they naturally find interesting, what they're naturally gifted in. And, you know, on the whole, speaking with a very broad brush, I think any parent who has raised a boy or a girl or both can see that there's something there. There's
0: something there. You know, you know, Hadley, it's unbelievable because I, I think that there is this idea of we can control things in our children. Mm-hmm. We can give them the appropriate uh, peace loving games, right? I'll never forget Hadley. I was at preschool pickup. You know how y'all have to sort of wait in line. You all know, you're all lined up waiting for your kid to come out of the door and there was a very, um, put this nicely, very crunchy mom, right? And I'll never forget, you know, she said, oh, well, we, don't." this was one of the first days. Well, we don't, our children does, don't play with guns, don't have play guns, right? And fast forward, and she had this whole thing. Like, we just don't, we go in nature, we take walks, right? Blah, blah, blah. And then fast forward several years. And it was my son's, I think it was like his eighth birthday. And we had a party and they came And she brought one of those, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like, it's like a GI Joe figure. And then, and then in the same packaging is like every possible gun. And there's like a ammo belt and it's all, it's like a, it's like a boy Barbie. Okay. But all the like dress up stuff is all guns. Okay. And I looked at her and I start laughing and she goes, I tried, I tried. And she (laughs) said, she said the nature walks pretty soon he was picking up sticks and right. those were guns, you know, right. you hear about, you remember the, the viral story a couple of years ago, how a kid nibbled a pop tart into the shape of a gun and he was suspended, yeah. right? He was suspended, <laughs> yeah. but there is something really. And again, I think it's so true what you say about if you've raised girls and boys, you know, moms of moms of different sexes understand it much more than like me. Cause I'm an all boy girl or all, all boy mom. But you must see this, you know, and again, everyone saying like, well, this is just a social construct. You're just introducing pink to your daughter. You're just introducing violent toys to your son. Um, It it just isn't that way. And I think once we take the politics out and sort of those silly ideas, I mean, the reality is biology really comes into this. And you do see a difference between boys and girls, which is something increasingly I think we want to reject or people want to reject that there's any differences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think people have to think about, you know,
1: is that a bad thing? You know, I think people, why do you want to reject that? Why do you want so badly to reject that? And I think part of it comes down to, well, traditionally, those differences were kind of lorded over women as, oh, you're not capable of doing this job or entering this industry or that's man's work and that's this is women's sphere. And some of that, obviously, outdated, oppressive, not good. But can we, I think one of the questions I, I tried to ponder in my piece and one of the quotes from Dr. Reeves where he says, you know, conservatives want boys to be like their dad and liberals want boys to be like their sister. You know? I was and I just think that's getting true. to that quote. So it's like, is there a third way though? Is there is there a third way to say sex differences are real, you don't have to put people in a box and we can still celebrate individualism. Obviously there are going to be boys who are not into guns or sports or, you know, and and there's gonna be girls who are. Um, Can we make room for that and celebrate individualism while also not totally dismissing the idea that there are these inherent, biological, innate, sex-based differences between men and women, boys and girls that in general will have a big effect on how people live, what they're interested in, what they wanna do for a living, how they, Made how they form families. You know, I think we can, I hope, forge a third way where we don't use those things to restrict or oppress anybody, but we also don't throw the baby out with the bathwater.
0: Yeah. You know, you also talk about this third way, and I'm glad you pivoted over to it because I was just about to ask you about that, and you've already sort of explained it, but you, this sort of third way solution. And this is very topical for today, as you say, that it will require people on the left to face the reality that mothers and fathers do matter. Mothers and fathers aren't interchangeable. Neither are women and men. Tell me a little bit about that passage. Yeah, well, that's, um, you know, we, we didn't really I never really
1: responded to your question about conservatives being more maybe inclusive of family models or, or families where things haven't gone to plan, you know, like we, we can, I think we do as conservatives do a pretty good job of saying, well, the ideal is a mom and a dad and a whole family unit. And, you know, in an ideal world, no one would, no fathers would die. No mothers would die. No one would get divorced. No one would get remarried. There'd be no, you know, blended family because everything would just be perfect. You know, (laughs) that's obviously not the world we live in. And, um, but I think having the recognition of what the ideal is, you know, to get back to my third way concept, you can still say, well, that ideal is not something we should be dismissive of. It's not something we should say, well, because sometimes things don't work out, just forget about it, anything goes. You know, um, I think there are very smart, you know, single parents and people who are um, raising children without, you know, a biological mother and father who are married in the same home with a child who can still say that they understand that having male and female role models in the lives of children is important, right? That having someone to foster like a, a maternal type bond with a child and a paternal type bond with a child, that these things are very important. And all you have to do guys is just follow Dr. Brad Wilcox on Twitter. He's constantly tweeting about things. For example, we tweeted something recently about how mothers and fathers discipline their children differently. And I felt, uh-oh, guilty. <laughs> like, I let my husband be the heavy a lot of the time. You know, just wait till your father comes home. <laughs> but there's something to that that, um, you know, when, when a child is, is hurting and needs someone to provide some kind of empathetic care, that mothers are really good at that in general. And dads are pretty good at saying, okay, buck up, you know? And that's we all need that. We all need that. those two internal voices in our head. Um, I think a lot of us get it from our mother and father, or we get it from male and female, you know, role models, people who affected us when we were young, and we learn how to say to ourselves, you know, I'm going to have a little grace with myself about
0: this, but also, fuck up, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that's, we and we need that. We all need. Well, that. I and, also, you know, I would also say I think also men and women parent girls and boys differently. I am really tough on my kids, on my boys. Like I was a super nurturer. Always, always, always. If they fell, if they hurt, if they were upset about something, I'd really talk to them, but I gave them a timeline because you're not going to cry. For a half yeah. an hour, right? And yeah. so, like, I'm a little tougher. I suspect I'm tougher. Um, if I had had girls, I may have been a bit of a, more of a softy. Um, so I, there is, but you're right. This, the point is, this is so complicated and it does, rec- I mean, again, ideal world, moms and dads fill roles. Um, mm-hmm. for instance, my husband, the big, I know this probably comes as a shock. I'm not the most sporty person and my husband is and so he fills all of that. The baseball, the going, you know, the driving to games, the really I mean I go to the games, but you know there it is the point is is that there is um there my husband and I work to fill these gaps whatever mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. Um and and it, it it is beautiful. But again it's it's the ideal and we hope um, you know that people view sort of parenting in this way is uh, certainly flexible. I mean, I—that's I, the thing that bothers me sometimes in these conversations about right and left—is the idea that the right doesn't want any flexibility or doesn't recognize these differences per family or you mm-hmm. know changes that one family might have for another. I think conservatives do recognize that and do understand that, but they just—it's sort of back to this ideal they hope that people strive for the thing Mm -hmm. that is best for the kids.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I can, I sometimes as a conservative can be guilty of um, what Dr. Reeves described to me as, you know, the hammer and the nail scenario where you see problems in society and you think, well, this all comes back to family formation. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a hammer in my hand and everything is a nail. Well, if they had just had a, you know, a family that was stronger, whatever, you know, and I think people are starting to, Realize, you know, you asked earlier, Julie, are people recognizing this problem with men and boys? I'll tell you one area where I think people are, and that sadly has to do with any time there's a mass shooting. I mean, who is the shooter? Ninety nine ninety nine point ninety nine percent. It's a young male who, you Who's, know, who hasn't had a father in the house. Had like a fatherlessness issue, uh, what some people might call a broken home. You know, so this is this is um, this is a problem big time for people on the left because they're really worried and they as as, as we all we should all be concerned about any time a mass shooting happens obviously that's the problem something we should address but there's more to it than the gun there's more to it than than guns and um that pattern and who these shooters are got to be a piece of the puzzle you know so there's that.
0: I want to talk a little bit about men's only spaces. This is something Mm -hmm. that I thought was so interesting in your piece. And there's been almost a backlash to we want to include women and everything. We don't want this exclusionary culture anymore. Women deserve to to have entry into these places. But now it seems like it's, it's hard to find male only spaces and men need this. And you know, actually, you mentioned this in your piece, and I wanted to kind of drive down or go down this rabbit hole a little bit on um my dog is going to hit the bells my dog is going to want to go outside hopefully she won't do it too many times um the is the idea of scouts used to be known as boy scouts now it's known as just scouts and to me this is this is a really hard thing for me to. I, I've been very disappointed and I've been very upset that this has occurred. Um, My boys are all scouts, and uh, now it's you know my my son right now is at a Boy Scout camp, and there are going to be girls there, and I'm not really happy about that. Now they're kept separate. Generally, they don't intermingle with that. Great. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. it is great, but it just it bothers for how long? <laughs> me. Yeah, and yeah. it bo- It just it bothers me that it's not a camp just filled with boys, and so. Um, and I really and I actually wrote about this. I wrote several op-eds about this about how I really wish the Girl Scouts had maybe, you know, if there had been if if a bunch of girls didn't want to be a Girl Scout because they're tired of crafts, and you know they wanted to do more camping. I wish the Girl Scouts had changed, but they didn't. Right. And so then, right. of course, the Boy Scout needed members. But anyway, talk to yeah. me a little bit about this issue as it relates sure. to. Well, just to give you a
1: little bit of my personal background on this topic, um, I went to college. And I really wanted an all-girls dorm because I just felt like I would be more comfortable in that environment. Mm -hmm. And for a variety of reasons, not just because I didn't want to walk down the hallway in my towel to go to the common bathroom, because probably at that time, like, I wouldn't have minded doing that, (laughs) (laughs) but it uh, it really had more to do with the relationships that I hoped I could form with other women in a women-only space. And I can tell you that it really seemed to me like the university that I attended um, made a real effort to get rid of single sex dorms and really wanted to integrate people. I mean, it's about like the integration. So I ended up joining a sorority. So I could live in a sorority house because that was one of the few like housing options where I could live with like a bunch of college women. You know, I could have gone off campus and gotten an apartment with a few other girls, but I wanted to find like a big, group of women that I could bond with and be friends with in college and so the sorority provided that for me I never thought I'd be a sorority woman but then I became one I'm very pleased because I gained a lot of friendships as a result and um, my husband was in a fraternity you know and these are probably like of all the single sex organizations Greek life maybe has like the worst reputation because people associate it with partying or they associate it with like bad behaviors um but truth be told, there's actually a lot of great friendships that are formed in those organizations. Um, I, I could get into like a defense of Greek life in general as like a service thing, but I, I just to focus on the bonds and the behaviors. I I think you have to be willfully blind uh, if you don't see how women and yes. a group of women are different from women and men in a co-ed group, and the same I imagine goes for men. I'm never obviously I'm never party to a completely male-only group because I'm a woman. Um, but I, I can't help but think that not only are those uh, groups important in terms of friendship building, and to share yet another statistic, there's been a five-fold increase since 1990 in the percentage of men who say they have zero friends. So we have like a friendlessness problem. I think this is for men and women both. We're like increasingly atomized, increasingly yeah. without friends and without community huge problem with big implications for every facet of life but men increasingly because they're getting married less because they're you know they're a variety of reasons men are like friendless and this is you know if you want to talk about like antisocial behaviors yeah they're more likely to well, manifest and, in and people who don't have also, any friends
0: and also hadley i mean this is why when you know, whether it's the women increasingly getting into men's spaces, or just the lack of male only spaces, I mean, then they end the and the loneliness factor. And like, no, you know, no friends. That's why men are drawn to these video games, you know, and yeah, that is another isolating factor. Tell me, I was was gonna say, you know, there's the friendship piece, but then there's also
1: this like, piece of kind of self discovery, I think that can happen in those uh, environments and single sex environments, because Women, I think for women, and this is, again, this whole conversation, you have to caveat, 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 because I'm speaking with very general terms. But I do think there's some good research about, say, for example, girl-only schools, that girls are more likely to say they feel more confident speaking up, speaking their minds, you know. And so I think that the same is probably true in male-only environments, that men are just going to be a little more frank, a little more open, a little more honest about who they are. They're going to get feedback on that from a group of other guys. And that is a part of how we develop and grow as people. Societies throughout history have had, you know, some different roles and some different groupings of men and women where they can kind of um, sharpen these, you know, I think de- developmental pieces of who they are. So um, t- t- to move beyond that, I, I do think these uh, spaces unfortunately have uh, been under attack, have been increasingly rare, harder for people to find. And so that, that has to do with, I, I think is, is at the root of some of these problems.
0: Um, You sort of conclude here, you say for wonks and policymakers, while there may be some deep left-right disagreements about sex and gender, because you get into that as well, it seems that there are areas of common ground such as value of vocational education. For wives and parents like me, there are reasons for hope, not uh, least of which is the attention to the issue is getting Talk to me a little about vocational. I mean, you touched on it at the end there, but this is something that I think is so important because in addition to men growing into adulthood and not being married, not having kids, not having friends, increasingly online, depressed, committing suicides, doing drugs, going to jail, like these, this is a trajectory that's very concerning, but there is a demographic out there who can get out of high school, attend a vocational school and then be off and potentially making good money on a trade. This is something that became very out of fashion during the Arnie Duncan and Obama years of everyone's got to have a computer and everybody's got to have a college degree. That pendulum is swinging back a little bit. I would say a lot due to Mike Rowe. We love Mike Rowe. He was one of our gentlemen of distinction at IWF, came to our gala. We love Mike Rowe. So I think he deserves some of the credit. But talk to me a little bit about how that might be part of this solution. Sure. And you, and you mentioned video games. I think you know, men. Interestingly enough, Dr.
1: Wilcox brought this up to me. Like, we think of social media as a female problem, um, and there's a lot of problems for women on social media. I think it hurts our happiness. You know, I think like it's conclusive totally. evidence that the more time we spend on social media, the
0: less happy we are. I I I will just I will just interrupt for one second and say we always have a late summer vacation. We always go in August. So June, so May, June, July, and then some part of August. I'm like. Everybody's going. I, you know, I, yeah. I am like, yeah. I definitely, my happiness question is way low right now. Because, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think social for, media.
1: For
0: men, they they may not put two and two
1: together, but the connections that men share online in video game rooms, they might be worth something. But if they are a replacement for,
0: yeah,
1: real in life in person connection, and gosh, COVID should have taught us all the the worst lessons about this that. Online connection is no replacement for in-person connection. In fact, you know, to get back to the vocational training piece, the more time young men spend on video games and the more time young women spend on social media, or the more time we all spend doing, you know, kind of online recreational entertainment things while there's a place for that, to a certain degree, it takes away from time that we could be using to better ourselves, to learn new skills, to uh, learn a vocation, to um learn to a read, language you know, to, like, right, to, to, to spend time with our loved ones in real life to you know care for someone to volunteer you know do things that actually add meaning to our lives and make us feel like wow i did something meaningful today and so uh one of the pieces i you know one of the recommendations in my article is we should all try to limit our screen time parents boys girls all of us but as an alternative to you know screen time or um as a way to improve our educational system in general, there's a lot that we could do to provide more and better avenues for for boys within the education system. Um, And whatever the subject matter is, if it's vocational, if it's a traditional, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic class, I think there's pretty broad agreement that more movement is good for boys. Get up out of your seat, do something, you know, people talk about it in terms of recess. Sometimes recess is great, but also incorporating movement inside of the classroom, getting them, moving around, helping them, you know, do things with their bodies to help them remember what they're learning. Um, So there's, I think, you know, and to get back to, you mentioned the line where I say I have some reason for hope. One of my reasons for hope is that I I do think that there's starting to be more recognition of these things. I think COVID was a huge, huge setback, um, because obviously it hurt boys and girls, everyone in the education system, just COVID was a disaster, right? Um, But I think COVID is, you know, our response to COVID and some of the things that we see affecting boys right now are all rooted ultimately in safetyism, right? Like there have been some schools that have banned the game of tag, for example, you know, because someone might tag someone else too hard. (laughs) I even heard about uh, a school where they limited outside time, uh, they limited recess to like seven minutes at a time. Because that's about how long it takes for conflict to develop on the playground, and I'm like, kids need conflict. Kids need you know to learn how to work through conflict. They it's do. The,
0: the well, and versions, and two,
1: all- safetyism. It's all bad news.
0: And too often, the instant there's any kind of disagreement be- between kids, there's some swooping in maneuver of a yeah. teacher and authority. It's so interesting in Loudoun County, you've heard, I'm sure, about Loudoun County. It's sort of, you know, um, it's been the, the place where a lot of the sort of pro-parent movement has has started um, or is ongoing. And in Loudoun County, it was revealed just a couple of months ago that there was a fight club for little kids. And it was hosted by parents. Now, there were probably some ground rules, there were mats put out probably in someone's garage. And then there was some sort of like a list of kids that were participating. And there were these fights. And everybody in the area was I can see from your face appalled, right? Oh, my gosh. And then when I would tell people I'm like, well, actually, the parents knew because there was this at first people thought, oh, it's just kids fighting, right? And like, that's weird, right? Which, which I'm like, I don't know that that's that weird. Then people were like, well, the parents were involved, which, okay, yeah, I'll give you. That's a little odd. But I think to myself, boys can't fight anymore. Yeah. Boys will, if you, I, I, you know, my son there, you know, there have been a a couple incidents of a, a kid not being nice to him. If he sucker punched him, right. If that kid insulted him over and over and over again, my kid, the requirement is my kid should just take it right and then maybe have like this is why this hurts my feelings right mm-hmm. or whatever if if my kid like you know took a swing at him he'd be he'd be out of the school you know he might be suspended or or something and so and i'm not look this is not a <laughs> podcast to say Kids should really be taking swings at each other. It's cool. No, but it's, but it is an interesting cultural thing where boys are not allowed to, you know. I mean, you talked to, if, if I were to talk to my dad, I bet if you talk to your dad, it's like there were scuffles, there were fights. Yeah. And then it was yeah. over. There wasn't this prolonged yeah.
1: thing. So there's, uh not to, not to like recommend another podcast while I'm on your podcast, Julie, but I did listen to Jordan, Jordan Peterson had sure. a guy named Race Kelly on his podcast not too long ago. It was actually after my, national review boys article published and honestly if I had heard this podcast before the publication of my article I would have gone back and asked to add like a whole section about like play because play is so important to both boys and girls um, but particularly physical play where you're taking risks and roughhousing it's so important to boys so I encourage everybody to go listen to that podcast if you want to hear like an hour and a half long conversation about play. Beep, beep, and boys. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting because I um I know these are things that you know innately to be true you know when your when husband comes home from work immediately my boy is climbing on him like he's a set of monkey bars you know they play physically and and it's rough and my husband likes to throw my kids way up high in the air and
0: it's thrilling it's and it's nervous. like ah! yep 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 but you learn you learn where the limit is. And, and if you never play, well, but this is, you know, and and this is the other thing. It's again, it opens up another issue of this free range parenting movement, which, you know, that I have been a part of for a long time and have really devoted my parenting style is very much free range within, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not quite Lenore Skenazy. Okay. I, I strive to be, but you know, kids, when you let them go a little bit off a path and they might climb over something or try to climb a tree or do something like that they will learn their limits they'll fall down they'll hurt themselves maybe a little bit and then they'll get back up and they'll then they'll start off again and they'll this is how kids test themselves and learn their limits and learn what mm-hmm. they're comfortable doing or they yeah. practice and they get better at it so all of these or things they, have a, they in, have
1: a healthy outlet
0: for the aggression or desire for risk taking
1: yeah i think is probably just God-given in a in a higher degree in boys, you know. Like I think it, the aggression and the desire to take risks, you can't suppress it. You know, if you try you to suppress it at school, it's going to come up at the fight club. If you try to suppress it in play, it's going to come out in video games. Yep. If you yep. try to suppress it everywhere, it's going to come out in violence. And it is. And that is one, and, and not and where think, we want it to
0: come out. <laughs> I, I think moms of boys have to be brave in a unique way on their own. In addition to a child learning and learning the limits. Every time my boys would pick up a stick because it was a lightsaber and they were going to go kill a sis. Okay. And they would attack another little boy and there'd be kind of some, at some point someone would get hit in the head, you know it. And so it would be crying. And this feeling of, I don't want that to happen. You know, just don't play. Don't play that way. Just don't put the stick down. You constantly have to sort of steel yourself against saying that because they should pick up the stick and have this imagination and imagine themselves in the... Star Wars, you know, and doing all this stuff. And so it's very hard. I mean, believe me, mothers of girls have a whole different, that's a whole nother Oprah show. It's a whole nother podcast. But I, but I do think it is, you have to be brave to allow your boys to do some of these things, which are not, and especially, and look, I live in a super left-wing area Mm -hmm. and it's even harder, I think in this area because, you know, there's a lot of like I, I mentioned that crunchy mom. Oh, we don't play with guns. There's a lot of that. And so mm-hmm. they they might come around eventually, but you're sort of met with that and you want to navigate this. You don't want to be, you know, a pariah or socially an outcast. Um, yeah. So it does become really difficult. Um, Hadley, we're coming up here on a on a kind of a ending. And your your piece is so wonderful. Tell people where they can follow you on Twitter, where they can read the article and all that good stuff. Sure. I have one closing thought, if I might sure. add. I just wanted to say, you know, in, in what you were saying, Julie,
1: the, you know, the, the thing that's sometimes lost in this conversation is that uh, when the little boys are picking up sticks and pretending like they're guns, you know, maybe some people's first thought is, oh, my gosh, they're going to pretend to be a shooter and that's something bad, and I don't want my kid to become a violent, you know, mass shooter. But there are a lot of people who pick up guns for our country for good reasons, in the defense of others, in the defense of our principles, the things that we believe in. And most of them are men. You know, some of them are women too. And God bless every single one of them. But there is something really beautiful and worth celebrating about when we can direct the uh, inherent strengths of men and women to their highest virtue. That's a really beautiful thing. And so I think, you know, this conversation is not just about like stopping the worst ills that can happen when you do have a boy and man crisis which I, I think we do have but we can also think I mean dr. Wilcox told me that pretty much every physical rescue that he had heard of was a man going in a man going into the fire going into the you know um, the dangerous situation and saving somebody. And um, that's often the case when there's a, you know, someone pulls a gun. Well, someone else happens. There's a good guy with a gun and, and often it's a man. Sometimes it's a woman too, but, um, but these are great things. I mean, I think that there's a lot to admire about both sexes when they're really at their best. But if you want to read the whole article, um, it is in this print version of national review magazine. You can read it online. You can read it on IWF.org. Um, Who's on the cover me. of that? Who's on the cover? Yeah. Of that? <laughs> that's my husband actually. No, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's it's a it's a art it's AI man. No, I'm sure it's real awesome. artist. That's awesome. But it's super dad. It was the Father's Day edition. So well,
0: congratulations, um, yeah. Hadley. It's a big deal I'll to get in the does. print in the print edition. So that's wonderful. And Hadley, Thank what you. is your handle on Twitter? I know you're on. Twitter. Oh, it's. Hadley
1: Heath, because maiden names live forever. Yes, Hadley
0: Heath. Hadley Heath, yeah. Yeah, well, Hadley, thank you for coming on as the mother of boys. I appreciate you exploring this issue and talking to me today about it. It is so important and all your work at IWF is important. So hope you'll come back soon. Sure, thanks, Julie. Thanks, Hadley. The Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send comments and questions to Julie, to me, julie.gunlock at IWF.org. Please help me by hitting the subscribe button and leaving a comment or review on Apple Podcast, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, or IWF.org. Hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.